Welcome to Bill Bronchick's Real Estate Investing Podcast. Mr. Bronchick is an attorney, best-selling author, and a real estate investor with 25 years' experience. For more information and free articles and videos, visit his website at www.legalwiz.com. Be talking today about how to get rid of negative cash flow, or if you don't have negative cash flow, how to improve the cash flow you have on your existing properties, which is really an important thing. If you're looking to buy new properties and you're saying, well, these can't cash flow very well given today's interest rates, um, look at also your existing properties, how you can spend money on those or employ techniques on those to increase the cash flow on those and get a, be a better return on your cash um, than necessarily plunking 20% down on a new property um, at bank loan interest rates. Obviously, you can get seller financing or subject to or other ways of acquiring with lower interest rates, but you know, comparing apples to apples. So the first cash flow strategy is collect more rent. And this is where a lot of people who are sort of amateurish or not real sophisticated landlords um, fall down. Um, don't be afraid about asking for rent increases at renewal. You know, so many people are so afraid to ask because they're afraid the tenant's going to leave. Well, if you're below market rent already and the, you know, the market rates are going up, let's say the rent, rents are going up 5% a year and you're not collecting an extra 5%, you're, you might be 10 or 15% below market. So if the tenant leaves, no big deal. Do the math. If you lose a month and you have to clean it up and re-rent it, um, look at that versus how much you might collect over the next two years with the increased rents. And having tenants that are long-term, see, a lot of people like long-term tenants, and I really don't. Um, you know, they tend to reward them by not raising their rent if they don't bother you, and they're, and they're good, quote, tenants. A good tenant does not necessarily bother you, because what happens is if things are broken, they don't tell you because they're afraid you'll raise their rent, and then you get problems that you didn't know about that are, are persistent and, and can cause damage. So that's not necessarily a good thing that they don't contact you. Um, you want them to contact you, not, not excessively for every little thing, but if there's a real problem like a water leak, you want to know about it. You don't want the whole, the whole building to rot out. Um, and also, you know, rewarding them for being long-term tenants is, you know, you might do a little bit of that, but that doesn't mean you don't raise their rent. Maybe you just don't raise it as much as everybody else is getting their rent raised. Because remember, when you say, I want more rent, and you're still below market, they realize that if they want to leave, they, they have to pay a cost as well. It costs you a month vacancy or so, but it costs them moving fees and cleaning the carpets and, you know, and uh, paying a new security deposit somewhere else and so forth. So it's, it's a tight rental market already. And just because you raise rents on them doesn't mean they're going to leave. All right. So don't be afraid to ask for rent increases. And, you know, one of the things I learned from MrLandlord.com, Jeffrey Taylor, which was a great idea. Um, and it's a basic negotiating strategy is ask for more than you want. And, you know, do it in an email or a letter and just say, hey, if you have a special circumstance where you would like us to consider that you can't afford this rent, let us know. And about 60% of the people just take it. You know, they just pay it. And like 40% of the people will call you up and say, no, 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 I can't pay an extra $100 a month. I've got this problem or this situation. And you say, okay, well, how much more can you pay? They go, I can only pay 50. Okay. And if that's what you wanted in the first place, it's a win-win because they think they beat you up and you really wanted 50 anyway. So, you know, just, you can do it artfully, uh, not just say, I want more because, you know, everybody raises their rent. 
Um, do improvements that you charge for. So one of the things that you can do is get their tenants to voluntarily pay more rent by offering to do improvements and then raising the rent commensurately with that. So for example, if you said to them, I'll get you um, a newer, maybe not a newer, a scratch and dent fridge as opposed to the old fridge. And let's say that costs you for a scratch and dent 1200 bucks and you can get an extra uh, $50 a month rent at 600 a year, it's paid for in two years and that fridge will last more than two years. Or you'll say, I'll put, I'll put um, um, tile in the bathroom and kitchens instead of linoleum. Um, that'll cost you money, but you get to charge more for it. And it's an improvement that stays with the property. A lot of landlords do things like um, offer, you know, around Christmas time, either, uh, you know, waiving some of the rent or uh, a King Supers card, or a supermarket card or something like that. And that's nice, but it doesn't ignore to your benefit. So when you do improvements to the property that are long term, you're improving the property for your benefit and theirs. And when they leave, you still have the benefit and everybody wins. Uh, definitely enforce late fees. A lot of landlords, you know, let's say rent is late on the 5th. I know in some states like Colorado here, we can't charge till the 8th, but let's say your, your late fee uh, window is five days or 10 days and they pay like two days late and then you just don't say anything. And then the next month they do it again and again. And it's like, they're just a few days late and, and don't be afraid to say no. You owe a late fee. You, we received it late. Now, if you're doing EFT, same thing. If they pay late, um, it is what it is. You know, just, just don't be afraid to enforce late fees. Because the problem is, if you waive the late fee for a year, like 12 months in a row, and then you go to a victim for non-payment and then say, okay, now I want the late fees. Um, the judge may not let you do that. You may, he may say you have waived it by not enforcing it. So use it or lose it. Screen your tenants better. It, it, you know, turnover is a bad thing. Not always. Sometimes it's good because it gives you a chance to upgrade the unit and get more rent or get rid of a bad tenant. But if you screen your tenants really well, you'll end up with better quality who will pay. So you're not constantly turning over and, um, and losing money and maybe having damage. Um, and the last thing is you may, this is an optional thing. I don't personally do it, but you may want to send your unpaid unpaid uh, rents, you know, let's say you evict someone or they just leave and they haven't paid three months of rent, you could send them to a collection company to collect. You know, most of my rentals are low end. So I feel it's like it's bad karma chasing after, you know, broke people for money. Um, so I just don't do it. But if you have middle or higher end properties and, or you just don't feel that, that empathy that I do <laughs> for people, um, then yeah, go ahead. There's nothing wrong with, even if you collect a part of it, you know, because collection companies get a chunk of it and they'll collect what they can. So if someone owes $3,000 in back rent and a collection company can get you a thousand minus their fee of, you know, let's say 40%, you get 600. It's better than nothing, better than nothing. Okay. So uh, don't be afraid to uh, collect your rent. You're, it's owed to you. Uh, number two, appealing property taxes. Now that property values may be declining in your area uh, or flattening and they're still raising um, the property taxes, because the, the tax assessor, what they usually do is they look at a zip code or, or an area and they say, well, average values went up 5%. So everybody's goes up 5%. You can show them comps or get an appraisal of your particular property and say, mine didn't go up. Maybe the area did on average, but mine didn't. Uh, and if all else fails, take a picture of your kids' bedrooms and send them in. 
<laughs> and, then, and they may they may just say okay it's not in as good a condition as all the other properties so don't be afraid to appeal and there is a deadline when you get those notices in the mail of your assessment each year um there is a deadline you have to look on the form and see what your deadline is to file the appeal number three refinancing debt um first what are your goals and intentions for the property is it short-term long-term medium-term uh, maybe you go to an interest-only loan um if you're out strategy is it is long-term appreciation and then sell it and get the appreciation build up the fact that your loan doesn't pay down much may be okay going with interest only remember if you got a 30-year loan and you only plan to keep it five years most of that first five years is all interest anyway you're only paying down a, a smidgen of principal in five years of a 30-year loan so why not go with a lower payment interest only and have better cash flow you also might want to go to an arm loan. Again, if you're only planning on keeping it, you know, five years, then a, a, a 10, one, seven, one, or five, one arm, which is fixed for 10 and then adjusts every year after that, or seven years or five years, and, and then adjusts every year thereafter. Uh, right now, honestly, which is really weird, I looked up um, these 10 and five and seven, one arms are actually higher rates than 30 year fixed which is usually unusual, which probably means that long-term bond yield investors are expecting rates to drop. I don't know if it will, but the expectation is probably that because that why would an interest only, excuse me, a, an arm loan, an adjustable rate loan that's fixed for five years and then adjusts to market be higher in rate than market rates right now? It means that after five years, they expect interest rates to be lower than they are now. So that's why they're charging more. Um, avoid shorter amortizations unless you get a much lower rate. So a 15-year or a 10-year loan, you, you might be thinking, I want to pay it off quickly and retire. But you, you, unless it's a significantly lower rate, it's, it's usually a bad idea because you're forced every month into a higher payment than on a 30-year loan. And if you have a bad month, you're kind of screwed because you forced to pay the higher payment, whereas a 30-year, you get a lower payment. Um, and if you just want to pay it off in 15 years, you just look online for a, an extra payment mortgage amortization calculator, which will tell you if you pay your monthly payment of, let's say, 1500 uh, principal and interest, and you pay an extra X dollars a month, how much faster does it pay off the loan? And you'd be amazed uh, the, the general rule of thumb is if your payment of $1,500, let us say, is um, $1,300 interest and $200 principal, if you double the $200, double the principal portion, you, you'll pay it off in 15 years on average. But that's just a rule of thumb. You have to look at a calculator. Just Google extra payment mortgage calculator, and it'll tell you if you put X amount extra principal each month, and you have to mark it on the separate check. You send two checks where you make a separate payment online and mark it as a principal. Otherwise, they will just assume it's for partial next month's mortgage payment. You don't want that. You want to be extra principal payment, and that will pay it off quicker. Sometimes you can do it as little as 10 years. Just look at one of those calculators, and it'll give you the math. Strategy number four, other income. So you can rent store, if you, especially if you have multifamily, you can have storage units in the basement that you could rent to the tenants. Um, you can rent garages or preferred parking spaces. So if you have, let's say, uh, you know, a 20 unit apartment building and you have 20 parking units, you might have 
five or 10 of them that are real close to the building and mark them, you know, special reserve parking for, you know, for people who pay extra for that. Um, a lot of, you know, high, high rise uh, apartment buildings do that. They have special reserve spots that are better spots than the ones that are far away. Um, you can also rent appliances, believe it or not. You can get a, not, I, I was just in Best Buy the other day. You can get a 70-inch LCD TV for like 450. You can get a 50-inch a for like 250 and just add it to their rent, rent it to them for, you know, 20, 30 bucks a month. And, you know, they might beat it up, but odds are that TV is going to last you four or five years. And if you rent it to them and, and then hopefully they don't take it with them when they move, um, or maybe you take a deposit for it uh, in case they just decide to skip out with it. Um, you can get extra revenue from renting appliances, renting appliances. Number five, allow pets. A lot of people say, I don't want pets. Well, first of all, you can make a reasonable and safe pet policy and maybe only take certain breeds or certain types, which is odd because um, word has it that the state of Colorado, where I am, is proposing, or it might be a federal rule, uh, proposing a rule that says you can't charge extra for pets and you can't discriminate by type, which is ridiculous because if I don't want a Great Dane, you know, which is a huge dog um, in my one bedroom units, uh, why can't I say no Great Danes or no pets over a certain weight limit? Uh, you know, obviously if they're support animals, you have to take them and you can't charge extra unless it's an unreasonable burden to you. For example, if you have studio apartments and uh, there's no place to walk the dog and the dog's barking and doing damage, it's not unreasonable for you as the landlord to say, I don't care if it's a support animal, you got to get rid of it because it's creating an undue burden on me, the landlord and the other tenants. But generally, you know, you have to take them. But these new regulations saying you can't charge extra for pets and you can't discriminate by pet type, which is ridiculous, or dog type, rather, a cat type. Um, so, you know, prepare that the unit will have more wear and tear. Um, so you might want to use less carpet and more tile and vinyl in the, in the units to prepare for, you know, dog damage or cat urine. Um, but you can charge in most cases a non-refundable pet fee and or more rent plus a refundable pet deposit um, and you end up getting more revenue. So a lot of places you'll see advertised pet friendly and some of the newer buildings actually have like um, pet grooming facilities in there. They're encouraging pets. And the reason they do is they get more rent. And in those units, the entire place except for the bedrooms um, are those indestructible vinyl simulated wood floors, which are very hard for, a, for an animal to, to do damage to. Number six, make the tenants pay the utilities. Um, if you have like a multi-unit, like a threeplex or a duplex, if they're separately metered, um, you can charge them or make them put that in their name on small multi-units. You could charge an estimated uh, monthly you know, premium based on the average charges that just divide it by three units or uh, 10 units or five units, whatever. And on larger ones, they have what's called the RUBS, the Ratio Utility Billing System. You can Google this and then you can find more information about it. There are companies that can go in and figure out, I don't know how they do it, but 
somehow mathematically they figure out what each unit is using for water or ele electric or whatever, and then you build them back utility charges. Now, in the newer buildings, like the high-rise A-plus buildings, they're already set up with separate meters for the utility company, so each tenant pays it. But in older buildings, it's not set up that way. It's one big meter for the building, and usually the landlord pays it. But you can bill it back to the tenants uh, individually based on what they use, and then the company that does the rubs uh, calculations takes a portion of that, takes a percentage. But it's, it could be extra revenue for you. Number seven, a more efficient house, um, especially if you're paying for utilities, spend money that'll give you return if you're paying for the utilities. So a new windows, new windows, new furnace, AC, blown in insulation. Um, you might even consider home warranties when you buy it. So certain things are covered. You know, generally, and I'm not a big fan of those. Um, but it makes it a little more hands off if it covers all the major utilities and the, the HVAC where the tenant can just call the warranty company and they fix it rather than calling you. But you know, it's something to consider uh, if you're paying utilities. Number eight, negotiate with your property manager. Ask for, or ask for rent lower fees or charges, okay? Um, so if they're charging you 10% and you and that was with two properties you started with, now you have 10 with them, say, hey, I've got 10 properties with you now. I, I want 8% and you negotiate with them or maybe change your property manager. Um, if your property manager is really good, I don't know if it's worth it, 2%, but if your property manager is just eh, maybe worth switching to a new property manager that charges less and maybe more efficient. Um, one of the things I do is, is I require with my property manager that all repairs greater than $200, unless it's an emergency, I have to approve them. So they have to email me the problem and two bids for the work. If it's like a $300 thing, you know, and they have a, they have their own staff, I'm not going to quibble about it. But if it's like a $1,500 job, I want a couple of bids um, on the work before I approve it. So don't let your property manager just spend what they want to spend without your approval first if it's over a certain dollar amount um, and it's not an emergency. Uh, for single family homes, if you've only got four or five, consider managing them yourself. It's not that hard. Single family homes in decent neighborhoods are not that hard to manage. Um, you can easily manage on a part-time basis. You know, for me, the, the limit was about 12, but some of you might be seven. You know, one fourplex, four units, is the equivalent of 20 single-family homes if you've done that um, because they're a different game. They're a different animal. There was much more turnover. There's arguments between tenants. There's common area maintenance and so forth. But single families and condos, are, especially condos, are really easy. Um, you know, a lot of people don't like condos because of HOAs and, and unexpected repairs and, and violation notices. But condos are real easy because you don't have to fix a roof. You don't have to fix the walkway. You, all you have to worry about is what's inside your unit. And there's nothing much a tenant can do in damage to a condo, a small condo especially, that you couldn't fix in a week. Um, so it's pretty low maintenance. You know, it's usually, um, you know, appliances or uh, carpet or, you know, small stuff. Now, anything that's like plumbing, sewer, roof, that's all the responsibility of the HOA. And a lot of the HOAs also include uh, sometimes cable, 
TV or internet, um, 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 trash removal and things like that. It depends on what your, what your HOA covers. Number nine, consider subsidized housing. I know a lot of people don't like Section 8, um, but sometimes they pay more than market rent. So if you go to HUD.gov or your local you know, state version of that website and put in your property address or your county, it'll tell you in this county, Section 8 pays X dollars for two bedrooms, X dollars for three bedrooms, X dollars for four bedrooms. And if it's if you know if you can get an extra three hundred dollars a month with a Section Eight tenant, uh, it may be worth it. Now, personally, I haven't had extra problems with Section Eight tenants. Um, you know, a lot of people have nightmare stories about them being bad tenants and not treating the property well. Uh, my property manager, who manages a lot more than me that I've ever done, you know, he does hundreds. He says they are slightly worse, not dramatically worse, but slightly worse than regular tennis, but for $300 a month more per property, it may be worth it. And um, the problem is that, you know, Section 8 used to cover damages and then they stopped. So a lot of people who were landlords wouldn't take Section 8s because they would do more damage than normal tenants uh, with no recourse. But in most areas, there is a five to seven year waiting list to get on Section 8 housing subsidy. So um, a lot of times they're on their best behavior because if they screw up and you report them, they get kicked out and now they're on the back of the line again. So my experience lately in the last five or 10 years is they're on their best behavior because of that. Number 10, change how your rent is paid uh, month to month versus annually. Um, you know, if you're annually, your rent is fixed. If you're month to month, you can raise it. Uh, giving them proper notice. Now, some states and some cities have uh, rules about that, about how many times or how much you can raise a month to month. You want to look into that. But if there are no restrictions, you know, raising it every four months or every six months could be to your benefit. Uh, also, month to month can be better if you have a just a problem tenant and you just want to give them 30 days notice. And again, in places like California and now in Colorado, you can't just you know, kick them out for no reason. You have to have a reason now for a lot of these areas. Um, not just, uh, I don't want to renew your lease. Um, you may decide to pay every two weeks for the tenant or weekly, because every two weeks you get extra two weeks a year because there's 52 weeks in a year, right? So you get a little extra or weekly. And by the way, if you charge um, two grand a month, you could charge um, every other month, every other week, uh, $10.50. So you get not only two more weeks, but you get an extra 50 bucks every two or more weeks, which is an extra 100 bucks a month. So you're charging them for the privilege of paying biweekly and that's consistent with their paycheck. A lot of people like that. Um, maybe going to short-term rentals, Airbnb, VRBO, executive rentals. Airbnb is starting to get a little saturated um, with competition, number one. And number two, uh, a lot of cities are cracking down on it and putting restrictions on what you can do or how many you can have. Uh, some cities are banning them altogether. Um, so executive rentals is now the medium term rentals, 30, 60, 90 days or up to six months furnished. Not as much income, but fewer regulations, depending on your jurisdiction. So most jurisdictions say 30 days or less 
is, sh is short term. And so if you rent it for two months, you're fine. But some jurisdictions are saying up to six months is short term. So you got to look into that for your area before you decide to do that. Um, maybe shorten up your grace period if allowed by your local law. Uh, and or discounted rent. See, this is what a lot of landlords do. They, you're not allowed to charge, let's say, a late fee until uh, the 5th or the 10th of the month. Well, why make rent due on the 1st? Make it due on the 25th of the month prior and late on the 5th. Or offer a discount. If you pay before the 1st of the month, I give you a 5% discount. Okay. Uh, and that encourages them to pay on time. Now, some people don't like that. They prefer the late fees, um, which is actually more money. And that's okay if they pay a little late, you know, but if they pay a lot late, it's not bad. And offer alternative ways to pay than check. Um, ACH, EFT, Venmo, you know, all these other things. And if they, and if there is a fee associated with that, in most areas, you're allowed to charge the tenant, you know, the two or 3% that those, um, those services charge. Okay. And then lastly, uh, this is another cash flow strategy. Number 11, uh, reduce your expenses. I mean, that's another way to improve your cash flow. Buy bulk on supplies and or buy uh, closeout items. Um, so one of the things you might replace regularly, you can go to Home Depot and see if they have a closeout and buy a half dozen and keep it in your garage. Also, as again, when interviewing property managers, ask for volume discount. They may say they take 10%, but you say, listen, I got 10 properties, I want 8%, you know, ask for a discount. Uh, inspect often to avoid large repair problems. So back to the, you know, the non-bugging you supposedly great tenant, um, not always good. You still want to get in that property. What I do is um, my property manager inspects all the properties twice a year, uh, that's what I required under my agreement with him to give him the business. But if you do it yourself, you could either do your own inspections or what I like to do is I have a handyman and he goes in twice a year to change the furnace filters because everybody forgets. And while he's in there, he gets an eyeballs on the property. And then he calls me up and says, hey, did you know they're doing this or doing that or this is broken or that's broken or they Jimmy rigged this and it's not working and it's dangerous. So it's good to know. Um, and then encourage tenants to report minor things, but make them do it by email or web to avoid calling you, unless it's an emergency. Um, and even so, they could text you or, um, I, I don't like text because now they have my number, unless you can set up a separate text service uh, for your tenants, but encourage them to report things that are wrong, but make sure they do it in a way that doesn't hassle you. And uh, here's a tip. Someone gave me this recommendation, Cozy.co, Cozy.co. Um, that's a free payment service electronically that you can collect uh, payments from tenants. So not like PayPal and some of those charge 3%. Um, Zelle is good, Z-E-L-L-E, -L -L -E, if your bank accepts that. Uh, but that limit is, I think, 2,500 a, uh, a day. Or uh, so, you know, if they're paying 3000 in rent, they got to pay it in two tranches. Um, I don't know what the limit is on Cozy.co, but I imagine it's more than that. And it's a free service. So if anyone's used that and they want to report their experience, that'd be great. Uh, otherwise, those are 11 ways that you can improve the cash flow on your existing rental properties.
information and free articles and videos, visit his website at www.legalwiz.com.